Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 28th of February 2012. For newcomers, make sure you use the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and there's hundreds and hundreds of audios for free download there where hopefully once you've ratched your way through them, you'll understand the system you've been born into, the system uh, that does so much to through media and entertainment to to distract you from the reality of the actual system, the big system that's global and and runs the whole world. And I go into the histories of the organizations that all came together a long time ago to form this this new world order, as they like to call it, with themselves naturally always to be in charge of it and their offspring to be in charge of it forever, basically. And how they'd use the public and science, and today they call it neuroscience, the psychology, there's all that stuff involved in it, where they basically design for every generation a particular culture for them, and then train them literally from, from kindergarten onwards for the society that they'll grow up and live in. So they're already prepared for it. So it's that, that's exact, that exact. Uh, between the generations for the training uh, program. So help yourself with that. Number two, you can help me keep going by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because I don't uh, bring on advertisers as guests and uh, I don't have shares or ownership of any uh, any, anything at all that's being sold except for the books and discs I've got at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. So from the U.S. to Canada, you can purchase using a personal check, remember, and you can use an international postal money order from your post office. You can use uh, PayPal, and some people just send cash. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. What I do is try to chronicle the events as we go through them, because literally, we're so well managed, there's no real opposition to the scientific system. I think Orwell called it, and and Huxley too, basically a a sort of scientific dictatorship uh, of the mind. And there's no real opposition to it. A uh, lot of opposition which arises be- uh, uh, is actually started up by the ones who run the whole system. Why wait for re- real ones to start up when, uh, when you can put your own guys there first? And they'll say all the right things and lead you in circles and your generation passes, nothing happens. Uh, that's the Pied Piper syndrome that they often give us. And they've done this for centuries too. This, this has come out so much in, in union movements uh, and labor movements where they had the top uh, union officials eventually work for the, the big bosses and still said all the right things to the people, all the right things that, that they wanted to hear, and, uh, of course, nothing ever changed. So the technique of always making sure that, you, that they, they supply the leaders for the public is well done. It's, it's more well done than ever before. It's incredible, actually. But... That's the world you live in. And I've often likened waking up to, as I say, coming out of a tunnel into a field and you see the trees on the other side of the field. You want to get into those trees, but on your way there, you've got all these different signs saying, come here, here's the truth that's over here. And there's another one over there saying the same thing. And, and there's a minefield to go through. 
uh, all designed to blow your head up, basically, with, with nonsense or diversions or, or aliens are doing it and all that kind of stuff. And it works awfully well with a lot of people, especially the younger, younger ones too. So you've got to beware of all that kind of stuff because the elites have been out there ruling the world for an awful long time. An awful, awful long time. You go into ancient history, it's no different than the day. Kings had their top advisors to advise them on how to handle the general public, how to get more taxes out of the general public, how to make the public work harder for them, and etc. These are old, old sciences that have never been lost. They're better than ever to, than before today. So I'll touch on that tonight when I come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. We have it in our heads, basically, that men who lived 100, 200 years ago, even 1,000 years ago, were somehow simple and, uh, and and rather stupid compared to us. We, After all, we are on the cutting edge. You know, we, we can know all about science and, and all that kind of stuff. So we think they're kind of simple, but, but we're really dumber than they were. We really truly are dumber, and the IQ is dropping. Lots of other bodily changes are happening in males and females too, mind you. We're being bioengineered very quickly too. But we still have this in our head that we're somehow on the cutting edge of progress. This strange word progress that no one ever defines. And um, it's just an agenda basically. But we also think that uh, every generation is taught to think that they're special. They're better than ones that, that before them, even by a few years. And, and simply because if your ego gets so pumped up, you, you really try to start to believe it. And you won't listen to anyone uh, who, who's a two or three year or even five years older than yourself. That was all intentional, according to the Communist Manifesto, the separation of the generations was, was essential, but also the separation of uh, even, even the children from the parents' generation. So they would never listen to their parents. And once again, we have Lord Bertrand Russell talking about this in, in detail, how they would do that. Uh, scientific indoctrination, even at kindergarten, would override any input of morality that the parents who were contaminated, he said, contaminated with old-fashioned ideas and morals, uh, would have no effect on the children, as long as they could get them for three or four hours per day. And, of course, they even thought at one point, and Russell goes through this too, along with, with uh, Julian Huxley, they all knew each other, these guys, uh, about the necessity, perhaps, they were tossing between should we remove all children from the parents when they're born and that way they definitely won't get contaminated and the state would bring them up. But they found out with scientific indoctrination, as I say, that the children would be taught to completely ignore their parents. And that's what we've had for many years. They don't listen at all to the parents. And then they put other little things in too so that the, the parents couldn't even bond closer with their children doing homework uh, especially in the area of mathematics. So they would change methods of arriving to the same conclusions and same answers on, on, on things. And, of course, the child would say, well, that's not how we do it. We've got to do it this way. And, and then the parent would feel rather useless, and the child would scowl at the parent. It's worked awfully, awfully well. And John Taylor Gatto, in his books, went through a lot of this stuff. It was the deliberate dumbing down of the children, really, and so did Charlotte Isabri. Uh, they, they both put out great books on this process. It was all deliberate to separate the generations. And then the state, you understand, the state was always to give the new morality 
to the children, which has been awfully successful with too. But um, you, you get books if you go into old, old books to do with this topic on morality. And, of course, you go into that area in, let's say, the 18th century and 19th century of religion. Because whether you like it or not, the fact is most of the morality you were given and everyone knew uh, was from religion. You didn't need all the cops you have today because everybody in an area knew the basic rules. It was always quite simple, really. But the, the new morality had to change all that and disrupt all that to bring in a brave new world type of, of, of uh, system. So what you got is the state taking over uh, from the parents, as I say, the parents having contaminated ideas, that is the term, the term they actually use still today, it came from the Soviet system uh, and, uh, and communism. But um, you find that they now have bioethics teachers in schools. Now, bioethics teachers are simply the new, uh, same old people dressed up as something else, but it's, it's eugenics, plain and simple. Because now, you see, as this world goes into its true new world order, where you're an, an economic unit with so much of a lifespan and so much production and so much taxes to pay, that's the only function you have, according to those at the top, you see. And um, eugenics comes into play very, very heavily with it. And the next step after this one is, of course, transhumanism, where they want to bring in all kinds of new workers, very much like Brave New World, eventually leading to exogenesis, where they can they can literally alter the genes, the sperm and the ovum outside the bodies and and have an artificial womb and give birth to a child that way. So they'll re-engineer children. They, they, have, to, they have to talk widely about this in all the scientific circles at the top. It's a big in thing right now. That's where they're heading with it. But at the moment, you have to get very confused so none of you object to it, you see. So they bring in these guys that call themselves um, bioethicists. And ethics, of course, is just morality. Morality, according to the big boys, is plastic. It's elastic. You can twist it, turn it, stretch it. In other words, you can do anything you want with the public, and you can train them to do so. And unfortunately, by looking around you, it's, it's actually true. You can you can do that, especially if you get the children very young and simply feed the desires of a child at a certain age. It's like saying to a child who's five walking past the checkout counter, it's okay to grab all the candies you want, and that's what they'll go for. When they're a bit older, after puberty, uh, they're even getting before puberty now into this, but after puberty, you tell them they're going to have as much sex as they want. It's state-mandated. Don't worry, we'll supply all the, all the condoms. We'll take care of the problems. Uh, through medicine, just have a good time, and and that's what they do at that age too. You see, so morality can be really skewed to serve the masters of the world, and we've never had our own a natural system probably for thousands of years. Certainly not since money came into it in its form. Although money, coin money, is only about 800 BC. That's when it really made its mark. But there's an article t- uh, today, and it's from Australia. And it's from New South Wales, for those who don't know where that is. Because you probably only know that because we haven't bombed them yet. You know, at some time we learn places, it's when we bomb places now. It says, a parliamentary inquiry into school ethics classes took a bizarre turn yesterday as touchy topics such as having sex with animals, euthanizing uh, disabled children, and cannibalism were discussed. You see, this is a new, the new morality for the children. They get moral relativity 
rather than have the old-fashioned ideas from their parents. Like you, 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 you take care of your own, and you don't anybody die, and you'll, you'll 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 even spend your own life trying to save one of them if it comes to that. That's the old-fashioned morality, you know. And it says conservative New South Wales Liberal MP David Clark asked parents for ethics volunteer and ethics program coordinator. I like how everything's for number four ethics now. Everything's four, I can't say four anymore. Eh? Parents for ethics volunteer. That's the four pillars, of course, four square, you know, of the, the lodge. Volunteer and ethics program coordinator at Sydney's Randwick Public uh, School, Catherine Suttle, whether she approved of the views of bioethicist Peter Singer's philosophy. Peter Singer goes around trying to be, get, get notoriety wherever he goes to get the agenda forward. This is all the stuff that we condemn the Nazis for doing, you understand. They called it racial hygiene when they would bump off all the children declared as unfit. And uh, so anyway, they asked her whether she approved of the views of the bioethicist Peter Singer's philosophy because he was talking to the children. When she said she did not know much about Professor Singer, uh, Mr. Clark then asked, you're aware that he has justified sexual relations between humans and animals? And Miss Suttle, who appeared startled by the question, replied, no. She should go into politics. M- Mr. Clark then asked Miss Suttle uh, if she was aware of Professor Singer's views about the euthanasia of disabled children. Uh, is that really relevant? Miss Suttle responded not too subtly. Anyway, you would understand that in a course on ethics, these sort of matters may be raised by your volunteers, Mr. Clark said. Miss Suttle replied, I don't think those sorts of issues are raised. Cannibalism was also brought up to challenge how ethics teachers deal with the questions and whether it's right or wrong when discussing it with children. So, you see, these are fairly common articles now because we're, we're well into this whole idea of moral relativity. It's, it's all relative, you see. It's, it's how you view the particular situation at the time. And again, it's, it's, it's a new type of, of what they pretend is philosophy, but it's not philosophy because philosophy is almost a, 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 an exercise in logic. And it must always come to the same answer if you have the same problem given to you, if you work through philosophy. So that's how children are brought up today. You know, if there's three or four of you in a boat and one dies, you're going to eat the other one and so on. You know, nobody thinks about fishing or anything. But uh, this is how they're taught to view humanity. You see, we must be trained that human life isn't worth very much. And this is how they get it through your heads. That's the idea of it. That's why every government across the planet now is bringing in euthanasia. It's far cheaper for them to give you a pill than give you treatment if you're elderly or they claim you've got an incurable disease or, or something like that. It's, it's to do with economics. It's cheap. You see, that's all you are. Your only job on this planet is to work and pay lots of taxes. And they've got lots of more taxes lined up for you over the next 20 years or so. That's, that's basically it. But anyway, these bioethicists or eugenicists is a proper term for them. Just like David Suzuki, who said there's different kinds. All people, he says, all, all, all people are just uh, maggots, he says. But there's different kinds of maggots. There's four classes of them. He says uh, the ones at the top are the important ones. Uh, and what they poop out basically comes down and the ones below them feed on their poop. And then there's two classes at the bottom that feed on nothing but poop. That was the, the great David Suzuki, the geneticist himself who does all the, the, the furry animal happy shows on television and tells you to, uh, you know, freeze to death in the winter to save the world. They're all eugenicists, and they're all their different guises, and never, ever forget it. 
And they're going for your children's brains, and they've done an awfully good job of it too. Now, you bring that into this article here, and this comes out every year too. The same kind of article is trial balloons partially to see how much, they do their polls right away to see how the people take the story. And, and then, of course, they, they reorganize it for the next year and, and go a bit further with it too. And it trains you that it's coming. Subconsciously, you're getting trained it's coming so that you're familiar with the idea. But it says ethicists argue for post, post-birth abortions. And, um, it's, I've got three different articles on that. I'll put them all up tonight. But isn't the first time they've come out again with these ethics, uh, professionals, supposedly. Asking, talking about, well, you're not a person until you're three years old. That's from the Talmud, by the way. I don't know why they bring that into it. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about eugenicists and their new terminology, of course, they're, they're calling themselves ethicists. Ethicists, you see. Anybody could claim to be an ethicist. But it says here, in the Journal of Medical Ethics, two ethicists argue plainly for the killing of babies post-birth. They're not hedging their bets. They're saying it plain and simple, and I, for one, thank them for it. This is Alberto Giobellini and Francesca, which is a name like Minerva, Francesca Minerva, who's kidding who, associated respectively with Monash University in Melbourne, Australia, and with the Oxford Uhiro Centre for Practical Ethics in the UK, wrote a piece called After Birth Abortion, Why Should the Baby Live? That's infanticide, do you understand? So in the abstract, that's available for free at the site, it says. It says, abortion is largely accepted even for reasons that do not have anything to do with the fetus's health. By showing that, one, both fetuses and, and newborns do not have the same moral status as actual persons. Uh, two, the fact that both are potential persons is morally irrelevant. And three, adoption is not always in the best interest of actual people. The authors argue that what we call after-birth abortion, killing a newborn, should be permissible in all the cases where abortion is, including cases where the newborn is not disabled. And it says, here's the thing, they're right. If you accept their, their premises, they're absolutely right. The second we allow ourselves to become the arbiters of who is human and who, who isn't, this is calamitous yet inevitable. And once you say all human life is not sacred, the rest is just drawing random lines in the sand. And that's a fact. I said when they, they pushed abortion through, I said the next one will be the elderly, and that's, that's happened since then too. Because you've taken one pillar down, it's easier to knock the rest down. You've weakened the whole structure. And they keep going on from there. It's always the same system. Whatever you want to call it, Nazi, whatever you want to call it, it's the same system. It's socialism, which is run by the bankers, actually. It's all, it's all profit and loss, and they want to get rid of what they call the dead loss. An ethicist's job is like a magician's. The main job of both is to distract you from the obvious. The magician uses sleight of hand to pretend to make people disappear, but when ethicists do it, people disappear for real. Now, I've told you before that in hospitals, and they're copying the British system everywhere, um, you go in and they're sizing you up immediately for your status in the community. Are you important to your community, you see? And how old are you is another thing, too. And how much have you left to contribute to society? Uh, and that's how they weigh up whether they're going to treat you or not. And what kind of treatment you're going to get, if any at all, or just hand you the euthanasia pill. And I'm not kidding. 
It says these two ethicists seem to draw the distinction I've seen elsewhere of self-awareness. But isn't that a sliding scale? Isn't that a bit of a judgment call? Doesn't this also put the crosshairs on the mentally disabled or those who have suffered brain injuries? Well, of course it does. They throw around this term potential person like it's a real thing. As if it's a science, but there's no such thing as potential persons. It's anti-science. There's defenseless people. Maybe that's what they mean. In fact, isn't that really the point? There's defenseless people and indefensible ethicists, you see. And so that's one of the articles on it. Another one in the Journal of Medical Ethics is pretty much the same. Uh, and... Um, it says, so if a woman has a mixed racial affair, this is a reply to it, she and her same race husband should be able to prevent gossip and embarrassment by killing the baby. And it, then it says here, um, one other example of many could give in a journal of medical ethics also published an article claiming that scientists should be able to remove the kidneys from people diagnosed with PVS, denigrated as merely living cadavers. And that's, that's how they term folk now, you're a living cadaver. And transplant in pig organs in the place of their own organs to test the safety of pig to human xenotransplantation. And it isn't just a journal of medical ethics. Look at all the so-called respectable bioethics journals that have published outright advocacy to allow doctors to kill for organs. Now, to children who've been through school being taught by these ethicists and uh, these bioethicists or eugenicists, None of this will faze them because they've been through all before with their moral relativity classes, you see. And moral relativity is a simple way of taking a normal human being with innate natural responses to life in general and warping it until they've created the creature that they want. Someone who says, yeah, I guess you can kill them and save this other one over here and all that stuff. And before you know it, humanity itself has been denigrated down to a very low position. That's the point of it all. That's the point of it all. No doubt about it. And we're way into this now. We're way into that. Understand? You understand, when they said, said that the parents should not pass on their old morality to their children, and they called them contaminated people, that your old morality, that's contamination, they have now contaminated your children and your children are the ones who are going to euthanize you without a thought. Do you understand that? There's a mind behind all this. This isn't evolution of some uh, farcical science. It's definitely farcical, but it's very clever too. It knows where it's heading. And it knows how to get there. And there's a very big purpose for it too. And the United Nations will be overjoyed uh, with any positive responses to these articles that they get in. Well, there's too many of you. Well, they mean there's too many of the wrong kind of you. That's what they mean. And we're in, right into the system. It's terrible. We're right, right into it. Disgusting. Now, as we're doing all these weird things that are happening, we're being poisoned with sprays from the skies. We've got a dumbed-down population with the poisoned food that they've been got been given, and, and that's all they've been given, and all the inoculations are given too. Our IQs have dropped officially uh, from the United Nations statistics, and it's easier to push us into the next phase. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix. Talking about bioethics, uh, this new farce of a cover, as I say, it truly is a farce of a cover. It sounds so wonderful, bioethics, you know, like a biomorality. And, and, and basically it's just eugenicism. Basically, that's all it is. And you must have a strange mind that would go and want to be that kind of, you know, I'm going to be a bioethics uh, consultant. Uh, and what are you but, but a, a personal judge over life and death, you know? But, um, as I said, they've been at this for an awful long time, and it goes back again to all the elites with their front men that have appeared down through history to the public, like Julian Huxley when he was head of the UNESCO, the United Nations organization, to do with bringing down populations and making sure children get their injections to really, really bring down their sperm count in the mail, for instance. I just watched an Arctic, uh, little video from Horizon on the biosphenol, biosphenol A and uh, uh, the different uh, xenoestrogens that are in uh, your food uh, and in the water and everything else. But they compared the sperm from guys at 50 with the ones who were born uh, in the 19, late, late 70s onwards. And the guy at 50 is going great guns, and the sperm are all healthy and swimming around like tadpoles. And the ones from pretty well all the young guys, about 25 years of age or whatever, they're down to about one-tenth. There's about one-tenth of them swimming about. And they have some of them, are, they're all deformed. Two tails, and they're all deformed, literally. And at the time they hit 28, they're pretty well sterile, these guys. It's incredible. And they've, they know, they've known what they've been doing for an awful long time because they had these massive meetings before the 50s to do with bringing down the population. And as I've always said, they don't have world meetings and then ask for volunteers. They just go ahead and do it. How can we bring it down? Here's the, here's the technique we shall use. And Julian Huxley, when he was head of the UN, said the same thing. UNESCO, he says, um, We're going to knock man off his pedestal as being the supreme creature on the planet. In other words, we have to bring ourselves down to think of ourselves just a, a lesser animal, basically. But you must let your betters decide if this lesser animal should live or die. Do they need you or not? Remember uh, Bernard Shaw, that, that video I put up years ago, to do, you actually hear him and see him. Uh, talking about this Fabian socialism, how when they rule the world, you'll have to come to them and ask them why they should let you live, because you must serve the greater good, etc. This is all real. It's all here today. Only they wear banking suits. They're all businessmen at the top, you see. This article here says, and this is going into Brave New World in an article I read a few weeks ago, Exogenesis. And it says, thought, it says uh, every woman has an unlimited source of human eggs, say U.S. scientists whose research will turn the prevailing view of female reproductive biology on its head. It's long been thought a woman was born with all the eggs she would have. Scientists now have discovered stem cells in women of reproductive age that can produce eggs, providing a new avenue of treatment for female infertility. The fast and grow, fastest growing business really outside of, uh, you know, being a banker and scamming the public is infertility clinics. That's what they are. In 2004, a study found stem cells in the ovaries of adult mice could give rise to viable eggs, but the authors forced or faced a backlash from other scientists and people who contended that humans are not big mice, only if you're in Disneyland. 
The work has been repeated by others, and mouse stem cell-derived eggs have been shown to give rise to embryos after in vitro fertilization. Professor Jonathan Tilley from Harvard Medical School has now found similar cells in the ovaries of adult women. He injected some into immune-deficient mice to show the human stem cells would turn into viable eggs. They also could be made to mature outside of the body in vitro. The frozen ovary tissue came from Japanese women having a sex change. I didn't know the Japanese were <laughs> gone down that bad. But it was actually not ethically or not legally feasible to put the new eggs back into a human. Professor Tilly said the research opened up the possibility that sometime in the future we may get to the point of actually having an unlimited source of human eggs. Now they want to literally create brave new worlds with the classes that we bred into you. They'll breed it into your genes by taking certain ones out and replacing them with other ones. And little manual, manual laboring types, and they'll have their alpha pluses and their betas and so on. And whenever you read articles like this, you know that they haven't stopped in animals. and higher levels, especially in the military level, they've done all this stuff that they can't do anywhere else. They've done all this. They can, they can make it go on and on and on. And that's where they are with this all, this brave new world scenario. Quite something. We're living through amazing history, and yet most people don't really notice it. If they notice it at all, it's, they scrub it from their minds. When the next bit of info comes in, they delete it. It's just something else. And the elites have never been so elite as they are today because they're so incredibly rich. And I think for about 30-odd years, the UN's always saying, oh, the gap between the rich and the poor is, is, is widening until it's this vast chasm uh, and... Um, and they're still raking in the cash because we live in a corrupt society. From the bottom, you'll say it's corrupt. From the top, they say it's a natural society where psychopaths should rule. Being the top predators, they should rule it. They actually say that. So they can rationalize psychopathy amongst themselves quite easily. And, and thanks to Darwin, you see. And you find that the, the public are really... We've, we've been financing corporations for well over 100 years with our tax money. Big corporations. When they have big projects, they get just cash grants from the government. Or they'll say, oh, we're broke, you know, and another cash bailout when they run ahead again. So then they're back in the, in the black and, and they're doing well. But you find it too with all their politicians who are natural psychopaths because they come from the same elite ruling group, you see. In the ancient days or old days or medieval days, in a, a rich, wealthy, noble family, you'd often find one or two of them, the sons would go into the military and they'd loot countries, go off in crusades and, and loot and, and get booty. Today, of course, the, their sons go, or, or, they, or the son, if he didn't like that, he'd go into a monastery or become a priest or something. He didn't have to start at the bottom, they'd become a bishop right off the bat. But today, uh, the big bankers' sons and the big wealthy elite sons, the corporate sons, uh, they go into um, a whole bunch of different areas to do with government and governance, as I like to call it as well. But it says, wind turbines bring in risk-free millions for rich landowners. At the time, I remember seeing it. This is a recent article about it in Britain. It's happening elsewhere, too. And it says, the boom in onshore wind power, likened to a new industrial revolution, is being dominated by a small number of private landowners who will share around £1 billion in rental fees over the next eight years. They gave all the contracts to the nobles and all the politicians, the lords that that, that are your government. 
You see, rental payments are very, are very, and are, are secret, but say property agents speaking in confidence to the Guardian, landowners can now expect £40,000 a year risk-free for each large turbine erected on their land. Those set to benefit include senior members of the royal family and the Forestry Commission in Wales and Scotland. Analysis of onshore wind power investment suggested that 13 gigawatts of energy anticipated by the government to be installed by 2020 will pay landowners upwards of £100 million a year in total rents on top of the economic union farm subsidies they automatically receive for owning the land. They can't lose, can they? They run the EU Parliament, because all the elite noble families in that at the top. And they run every country as well, all their parliaments. And then they give themselves all the contracts that the taxpayers end up funding and paying for. So currently agents in Scotland, Wales competition for suitable land is escalating rents. Landowners can expect to be paid 5 to 6% annual turnover, turnover of wind farms around £40,000 a year for each large 3 megawatt uh, turbine. They see wind farms as a new farm subsidy, but they do not have to take any risks because the public pay all, you see. And in return, landowners are offering communities around £1,000 per milliwatt installed, so they get the money back on, on the generation as well. Estate owners in Scotland, where 1,200 people own two-thirds of the land, mm-hmm, yep, have so far benefited the most. The Earl of Murray is thought to get around £2 million a year in rent from a 49-turbine wind farm on his Dune estate in Perthshire, while the Duke of Roxburgh stands to make more than £1.5 million a year from his 48-turbine Falago rigged de- development in Lammermuir Hills. And the Earl of Seafield, Britain's seventh-largest landowner, would be paid around £120,000 a year from turbines on his Bamford estate. The Earl of Glasgow, a Liberal Democrat peer, has 14 wind turbines on his Kelburn estate, so could earn upwards of £300,000 a year. And, of course, just like the US, since they make all the rules to do with the military and all the rest of it, um, they, are, they get all the inside information on where to invest their cash, insider trading, in other words, too. You try that, they'll put you in the slammer. But they pass laws so that they can do it. And here's the proof of it right here. That's the system you live in. That's the system you vote for. That's the system you keep voting for, for the same damn system. You keep going. And you never catch on, do you? You never, you never will, actually. Never, most of you never, ever will. Another article, too, on global dimming. I'll put that up tonight as well. This is for dim environmentalists, to do with the heavy spraying we're getting. Uh, Opposite that, you've got the Navy unleashes its electromagnetic railgun. A new electromagnetic railgun. Big sci-fi thing. I wonder how much that costs us all. Outside of the lab. It says... um, the Navy trotted out images and a few short videos of his devastating electromagnetic railgun, blowing a fiery hole in a target at the Naval Surface Warfare Center in Dahlgren, Virginia. And a new longer video has been made to, to make the rounds. Uh, shortly, I suppose they mean. Whereas uh, previous testing had taken place in the lab, this video indicates the Navy has moved the technology one step closer to combat. For the uninitiated, a railgun fires projectiles using electricity instead of chemical propellants. Magnetic fields created by strong electrical currents accelerate a sliding metal conductor between two rails to launch projectiles at about 7,200 to 9,000 kilometers per hour, compared to perhaps 5,400 kilometers per hour for a conventional gun. 
by equipping ships with real guns rather than standard artillery, the Navy could eliminate the hazards of high, having high explosives on board the ships. I wouldn't want to be inside that, that field of electromagnetic radiation. But that's where your tax money goes. The big plans for the future, you know, for the elite, you understand, because that's what the system's for, is to preserve them. As they bump you off and convince you to abort your children, or how old's the child? Well, two and a half. I think, well, do you want to just kill it? Okay. Yeah. That's what life's come down to at the bottom, dirt cheap. And then when that happens, there's no hope for anybody, folks. Nobody stands up for you then. That's what Wells wanted. We're here. We're there. We've arrived. We've arrived. And Britain, too, being the, 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 the good, you know, I think it was, it wasn't Francis Bacon, it was um, another lord in Britain who actually said that the British were the most obedient people that, that, that any, any king could hope to have. Doesn't matter what you did to them, taxing them, beating them, or whatever, didn't matter, uh, they just put up with it. And actually it was Moore that said that. And it says, it says, we're the fuel tax capital of Europe. The British are the most taxed people in the world. We're catching up elsewhere, mind you. Because Canada's just decided to put, um, its new higher taxes, its value added tax or GST on all food as well. Because everybody else is doing it. So why don't we do it too? You understand we're global. But in Britain they're paying 60% uh, tax, they call it a duty, and value-added tax on gasoline, petrol. So 60% of every gallon, basically, is taxes. And they're, they're going to put it up again, up, up, up. And they say nothing. Oh, dear, it's terrible. How are we going to get by? They've been plundered by the banks, like the States and every other country, and all the con artists. Then they got plundered again by the governments, giving cash to the banks, Who'd, who'd stashed away all the loot before and said that were, the bank's vaults were empty. So we paid that all to them. And the public get nothing except misery. And they put up with it. And they'll vote again for the next guy that comes along, good psychopath, who feels their pain, you know, and says all the right things. As long as they say the right things, that's all it takes to get them in. Yep. Never learn. There's only one system here, you understand. And it doesn't matter if it's a left or a right or, or an up or a down wing that's running. It's running for that system. And that system is not for you. It's rather obvious, isn't it? I hope. I really hope it's obvious to you all. Mystery virus kills thousands of lambs. First it was a cattle they went for, although they killed lots of pigs and everything else when they had the so-called mad cow disease in the UK. And now mystery virus kills thousands of lambs. And it says thousands of lambs have been killed by a new virus that is threatening survival of many British farms. Uh, the Schmullenberg virus causes lambs to be born dead or with serious deformities such as fused limbs and twisted necks, which mean they cannot survive. Scientists are urgently trying to find out how the disease, which also affects cattle, well, it's going to spread too, uh, spreads and how to fight it as the numbers of farms affected increases by the day. So, you understand too, the system you have to go into, for you lot, like at the bottom, that's most of you, you see, is to be a vegetarian only. The big boys have said this repeatedly, that you're going to be on a vegetarian diet. And not any old vegetarian diet, but you see a, a genetically engineered vegetarian diet. Soaked with pesticides, to bring you down faster, you understand. They're very practical at the top. Very practical. 
So anyway, it says so far 74 farms across southern and eastern England have been hit by the virus, which arrived in this country January. A thousand farms in Europe have reported cases since the first uh, signs of the virus were seen in the German town of Schmullenburg last summer. So it must be a new thing if they've given it, they've called it after that, that town's name. Uh, and so it's probably been made in the lab, just like Mad Cow was made in the lab. Bring down the protein supply, and you've got the people at your mercy. Quite simple, isn't it? War, remember, war. You ever look at the, the old uh, Yale uh, Skull and Bone Society, where they have the war room? And you ever wonder who that they're at war with? This is for the elite families and their offspring for, for, for perpetuity, to always be in charge, making war on everything outside of them until they totally control everything. That's what war is. And here's another con, just to touch on it. Justice Department conducting criminal LIBOR probe. This is another banking scam. Never heard of it before. It says the Justice Department has conducted a criminal probe into whether the world's biggest banks manipulated a global benchmark rate, according to a person familiar with the situation. Whether well, the Justice Department's inquiry into how the London Interbank offered rate, or also called LIBOR, is, is set uh, had been known, the criminal aspect of the probe was not. A criminal inquiry underscores the serious nature of the worldwide investigation that includes regulators and law enforcement agencies in the US, Canada, Japan and the UK. Uh, LIBOR is set every day in London for 10 currencies for a range of maturities. The rate is supposed to reflect the rate at which banks lend to one another. Dollar LIBOR, for example, is calculated after 18 banks submit the cost to borrow dollars. Overnight, they can scam billions of bucks, and they have been doing it. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and we'll take the callers. This is Darren from Ireland. Are you there, Darren? Hello, how are you today? Not too bad, yeah. Um, I had a chat with a Franciscan monk in, the, in my small town, and uh, the cathedral that's here had a, a funny kind of um, crest of arms, and it was very similar to the to the Florence, uh, the Medici family's crest of arms. Yeah. And I was actually over in Florence and, and talk about a city of debt that is one country for debt mm-hmm. over hundreds of years. Yeah. But I had a chance to go through the Medici's uh, museum that they have there, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I always wonder what them six balls in their in their family crest meant. And I was they were showing all a lot of the museums had books and that, and in the book on one of the covers, it actually kind of showed well what what I thought it could have been. It showed the five balls on or the six balls, sorry, on a map of the world on mm-hmm. each corner of the world. And uh, I thought it was pretty funny because uh, in some of the rooms of the museum they have these massive maps, a whole room full of maps, even huge two-ton, three-ton steel balls of maps of the world that some of them dead back to about mm-hmm. the 1500s. And yeah. I thought it was pretty funny because America wasn't discovered that long long before that, and these had full-drawn maps of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and another thought as well, uh, regards to the maps of the world, I was uh, reading a book on the 
the uh, American, uh, the South American uh, kingdoms there, and the Incas have had an extremely similar system to the Romans, and it was pure socialist. I mean, mm-hmm. it was amazing to see that a system supposedly completely divided from the rest of the world had a complete socialist system running there and they didn't have money they had like a a tribute system so Mm -hmm. i don't know if you know much about that but uh oh yeah the the thing is too i mean there's no doubt about it uh as professor barry fells amongst others from harvard university actually came out with his books on america bc and there's no doubt about it they found a lot of these uh, stones uh, around especially new england area to show that the Phoenicians and other groups had been here long, long before. And uh, there's no doubt about it, too. There was trading going on. And uh, there's even a, a cathedral in Wales um, where they have stained glass windows going back to the 11th century. Uh, and uh, they've got porcupines in it, which you only get in America, things like that. Uh, so uh, um, it's just astonishing, all the, the obviously, the ancient transportation and communication they had between continents and, and so-called ancient times and even prehistoric times to do with standing stones. There's no doubt about it. They've always been back and forth. But it's almost like they left. I mean, the, the Incas took it over from the Oltecs, and the Oltecs really devised the kind of system. The Incas were more primitive in a sense, um, who moved into a lot of these cities and took them over, over China. And uh, they even had a separate tribe which they grew up just to, just to feed on, you know, kind of like today is going to feed on us. Uh, and uh, so nothing changes. You've also got an elite with uh, red carpets and fancy feathers and all that kind of stuff. And the peasants down below who are taught and trained to worship them because they're so incredibly wealthy at the top. So there's much, much more to South America or Latin America they meet the eye, and uh, Columbus, again, he married the daughter of the, the heads of masonry for Spain. And uh, look at Piri Rees map, too. Piri Rees map in the 1500s, early 1500s or late 1400s. They've got the, the whole of Antarctica mapped as well, and Latin America. But uh, from Hamish myself, sorry to Daniel in the UK and France from North Carolina and Jane from Ontario. May try tomorrow. From Hamish myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.